0: Good day, North Phoenix. I am reminded when the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, Come and let us go into the house of the Lord. For this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Stephen Hayes, and my wife is right here, Marcia. Stand up. My wife and I are fairly new once again to North Phoenix Baptist Church. I say once again because we met at Grand Canyon College. And so we dated here, we courted here. Most of the things we did were involved with sports, college ministry, and outreach. And I love what Pastor Noe has to say. He said, If you come to North Phoenix, you can find Jesus and you can find your soulmate. And so, uh, In 10 days from today, Marcia and I will celebrate 48 years of marriage. And I, I hope that you ladies are impressed that I have that on my calendar. You know, when we came back to North Phoenix, we said, how are we going to plug in? We've been gone for so long. When we graduated from Grand Canyon College, there wasn't a seminary here in Phoenix. And so North Phoenix sponsored us to go to uh, Golden Gate Baptist Seminary in California. And I pastored in that great city of San Francisco. And then we felt the call to go overseas. And for uh, 27 years, North Phoenix commissioned and sent us to, to work in East Asia. And then 17 years in North Africa and the Middle East. And during those times, we would be serving for four to five years, and I would always come back, and North Phoenix would house us, and I would serve on staff in the pastoral care, and and in one stint, we were here for five years, and I served as pastor of community engagement, so I've always been incredibly appreciative of how North Phoenix has supported us. In fact, North Phoenix, you are a part of 40,000 Baptist churches throughout the United States that cooperatively uh, are working together, and part of our giving goes to the Cooperative Program to support seminary education, church planters, home missionaries, and some 3,500 missionaries taking the gospel to all of the nations. And so, I am deeply appreciative. To North Phoenix Baptist Church and your ministry to me. And so when Marcia and I came back, we said, how are we going to plug in to North Phoenix? And so we went to the Next Steps class, just right over here, and Pastor Noe shared the vision of the church. Uh, then we learned how to connect, and Pastor Kurt got us involved in a connection group. And it was in this connection group that uh, we studied the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. And Pastor Noy had the DVD series, and we discussed the, the, the salient points of that message. And then before the summer, when we ended our home group for the summer, Pastor Noy said, Hey, Steve, I want you to close out the book of Esther. And so I said to our our home group, I said, hey, pastor wants me to close out the book of Esther. And uh, I want to know what you guys, what you men think about the book of Esther. And they, huh? What's the book of Esther all about? Well, I said, didn't you guys see the movie One Night with the King? Oh, yeah. It was boring. It's a chick flick. And I'm reminded that men are from Mars. And so I asked the ladies, what did you like about the book? Did you like the book of Esther? And they said, no, we love the book of Esther. And I said, well, why? Because she was a beauty queen. And she was given a golden pass to the Elizabeth Arden Red Door Spa for every day. And got her hair done, her nails, and did Pilates and massages. And it sounded pretty good to me. And I said, well, what else did you like about that? She said, uh, and some of the ladies said, well, she became Miss Universe. She won the heart of the king. And not only that, anything she asked of the king, he granted it to her. And the guys are starting to shrink in their seats. And somebody said, and yes, and whenever Queen Esther came into the presence of the king, the king put down his cell phone and gave his full attention to his queen. Now, I'm squirming. Well, that's really kind of the beginning of the book of Esther, and it's kind of based more like on a veggie tale. I've viewed some of the movies about Esther, and it's it just... Loosely based on the scripture. Read the scripture, guys. It's an incredible story, and I can guarantee you it's R rated. (laughs) Parents don't let your children read it until they're a certain age. So that's how the book of Esther begins. Beauty contest captures the heart of King, but how does the book of Esther? End. And this is what Pastor Noe has asked me to do is look at the ending of this book. And so go to chapter 10 in the book of Esther, and we'll have the scriptures on the screen. Because it begins with the king, Hasurus, or also Xerxes, same name, same person. He imposes a tax on the land and all the acts of his power, the king's power and might, and the full account of the high honor given to Mordecai, To which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of Chronicles? This book of Chronicles was what the scribes would record throughout the history of the great kings of the media Persian era. And you remember one night uh, King Xerxes could not sleep. And he woke up and he had the book of the Chronicles brought to him so that he could read. And there he was reminded or or, or it was kind of new to him about what Mordecai had done for the kingdom and overthrown a plot. And so it goes on to talk about Mordecai and this is what it says in the book of Chronicles, the third verse of chapter 10. There's only three verses in 10. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Azurus. And he was great among the Jews with popular with his multitude of his brothers for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all the people. And so as we conclude the book of Esther, I want to give a few observations about the man Mordecai. The character of the man who faithfully, obediently walked with God even when God was silent. And the first thing is Mordecai is a servant leader. He's a role model to his people. He cared for them. He cared for their welfare. It says for him, their well-being of his people. On his lips were words of peace, for he was a man of peace who wanted his people to win. And if you're a businessman, if you're a mother or father, You want your family, you want your employees to win. You are to be a servant leader. And that goes true in the house of the Lord. Secondly, Mordecai was also a disciple maker and a mentor. Mordecai was Esther's older cousin. You remember, she was orphaned. Her parents had left her. So Mordecai becomes her father figure. He legally adopts her. And he becomes the disciple maker and mentor to Esther. And she would grow up to be, become the king, the queen of this vast media Persian empire. And the empire would include Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Turkey, Syria, and maybe even into India. And then Mordecai was also a great coach. He was Esther's personal trainer. He tutored her along the way. He instructs her. He guides her. He counsels her. He chastises her. He corrects her. All the while encouraging Esther to act boldly in the face of uncertainty. To be confident in her calling. To be wise and courageous. To choose to do the right thing in making a difference in the course of history for her people. For me, Mordecai is the goat of coaches, the greatest of all time. And then Mordecai is also a risk taker. As a risk taker, he stood on the principles of God. And how do we see this? We see it because Mordecai refuses to bow down to evil. And Haman is personified in the book of Esther as evil incarnate. And he chooses instead to honor God. It is a risky choice for Mordecai. But following God is always risky. But not following God is dangerously foolish. For Proverbs tells us there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And this is the recorded legacy of Mordecai. And just to reread verse 3, Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to the king. And he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. That's Mordecai's legacy. How about Esther's legacy? For that, let's go to chapter 9. For in here we see that the king has commanded an edict it took place about a year before this. Haman had an evil scheme to eliminate the Jews. All because of his hatred of one man, Mordecai. And it colored his whole view of an ethnic group. And so the king sent out an edict that could not be reversed. Could not be revoked to the province, to the cities on this certain day and it's in the spring and he gave him a year's notice you can rise up and kill the Jews so what happens? well as the edict was about to be carried out on that very day when the enemies of Jews hoped to gain mastery over them the rules of engagement changed because Queen Esther had gone into the king and begged that her people could stand and defend themselves as attacked. The rules of engagement changed. You remember when in the first Top Gun movie, and Maverick is flying along and they were engaging these MiG-28s and Beaver, his wingman, is, he's gets locked on by this MiG and he starts to just freak out. And he says, permission, Captain, on the ship, the, the flight carrier, permission to attack, permission to engage. And the captain says, No. Do not attack until you have been attacked. So the king sends out this second edict to all the Jews to say, You have my permission. If you are attacked, to defend yourself. And so the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews were underdogs. The odds were against them. Caesar's sports book would have given you high odds that the Jews could overcome their enemies. No way. But they gathered through the cities throughout all the provinces to lay hands on those who sought them harm. Their rallying cry of the Jews became, Together we are stronger than if we stand on our own. Together we are better. Together we are stronger. So what happened? what resulted next and it says no one could stand against them for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples reminded me of our study of Romans 8 verse 31 what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us Who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things? And these things are fear and death and persecution. If God is for us, who can be against us? And in verse 3 of chapter 9, it says, all the officials of the provinces helped the Jews for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. Why? Mordecai, the servant leader in the house of the king, his fame had spread. He moved from strength to strength as a servant leader. In verse 5 it said, The Jews struck all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them. And they did as they pleased to those who hated them. And then they also killed the ten sons of our villain Haman. But they laid no hand On the plunder. You ever wonder why? See, the Jews said, We came, we saw, we conquered, but we want no spoils of the enemy. We don't want any trophies, no souvenirs. We don't want evil in our house. And so the damage report comes in to the king, and it says, Those that were killed in the city. Were 500 men, and the king said to Esther, They've killed and destroyed 500 men and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done to the rest of the king's provinces? What is your wish, Esther? Whatever your wish is, he says, it'll be granted. Not only will it be granted, it will be fulfilled. It will come to pass. And Esther, I love the way she dresses her king. If it pleases the king, let the Jews who are in the city, the capital city, be allowed tomorrow also to do the same thing as this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hung on the gallow. And so the king commanded this, and the decree was issued. And the ten sons of Haman were hanged. Now, this is not a Clint Eastwood Western movie, Hang Him High. Why? They were already dead. They didn't need to be executed. This is the gruesome impalement of a human body that was put on display, high display, as a sign to say, do not mess with God's people. Do not mess with the Jews. And on the next day 300 men were killed in the capital city and then the second damage report comes in from the provinces 127 provinces and it says that those who gathered to defend themselves got relief from their enemy and killed 75,000 people men who hated the Jews but again they laid no hand on the plunder so basically there's two accounts of battles And you do the math. The body count is high, 300, 500, 10 sons, 75,000 people. It is a bloodbath. But then there follows this cessation of fighting, fighting, battle of victory. It's won. It's over. In verse 19, it says, the Jews who lived in the rural towns celebrated a day of gladness. And feasting a holiday as a day on which they send gifts and food to one another. You know, in the First World War, Second World War, our troops came home to ticker tape parade. And this is really what happens even to this day in Jewish households. It's called the Feast of Purim and it's inaugurated there in verse Chapter 9, verses 20 and 32. It really is a day of celebration. It's a big party time. They have dance contests. They act out the book of Esther. Here comes the villain Haman, boo, boo, hiss. Here comes the heroine and the hero, Esther and Mordecai, and they act all of this out because it was a day that God had given them relief, victory over the enemy of the Jews. Their day had been turned for them from sorrow, the scripture says, into gladness, from mourning into a holiday. Now, There are a number of genres, styles of writing in the Bible. There's poetry, there's the Mosaic law, there's prophecy, there's the gospels, there's the letters. And Esther is classified as history. And I think of this as a screenplay for a movie. In fact, Hollywood has made over seven full-length features of the book of Esther, loosely, loosely based on the book of Esther. And I think if I were having a party... In my house, a party of Purim, which takes place every spring. I'd probably do it like the Academy Awards. In the Academy Awards, Motion Pictures and Arts Science Awards goes to, who would it go to? In the category of Best Actress in a Leading Role, the Oscar goes to Esther. In the category of Best Actress in a Supporting Role, the Oscar goes to Vashti, the first queen Of the king because she stood up and said no to the debauchery of the king. In the category of best actor in a leading role, the Oscar goes to our hero, Mordecai. In the category of best actor in supporting role, the Oscar goes to, I don't know, either goes to King or it goes to Haman's supporting role. In the category of best costume design, the Oscar goes to. Mordecai and his GQ sackcloth and ashes outfit or to uh, Esther and her robe and her crown and all her makeup. You choose. In the category of best original screenplay, the Oscar goes to, well, we don't know who wrote the book of Esther. And the category of best director of a documentary, the Oscar goes to Yahweh. God is the director. And God's not seen. The words of God are not heard, but God is there in the background moving history and events and people to fulfill his purpose. And God always shows up in the darkest of places. Behind the scenes. Moving history to accomplish his purposes. In silence, God is there. And he says to us, Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among all the nations. You know, God does show up in the darkest of places. And I think every age and every generation throughout the stage of world history has had their Haman, evil men, evil men who have great power and no accountability. And such evil men who have great power and no accountability are dangerous, evil men. We had been in East Asia for 10 years and our International Mission Board asked us to take on a risky endeavor and to go into this region of the world that we've been talking about, this Persian, media Persian area where the Tigris and Euphrates run and where is it's a cradle of civilization. And so we entered into northern Iraq and Kurdistan after the first Gulf War, desert shield. And we met our Haman, this evil man, Saddam Hussein, who had great, great power and no accountability. And he was dangerous for he had systematically sought to destroy the Kurds of northern Iraq and into Iran. Saddam had just come back from an eight-year stalemate war with Iran. And he took out his anger and his wrath against the Kurds. And he went in, destroyed 6,000 of their villages, bombing them, taking bulldozers in, destroying the cities and the mountains, carting off the boys and the men to prison camps, to mass graves and they never heard from again. He poisoned their wells. He he blocked up their wells. And the Kurds have a saying. We have no friend but the mountains. And the Kurds fled to the higher mountains in Turkey. And it was in April. It was still winter and the muds and the rain the snow. And thousands were dying due to exposure. There was no shelter, no food, no medicine. And it was into this situation that our board sent us with another couple to be with some of the first missionaries to ever work with the Kurds and we saw that the need was for medical work and international mission board here at home rallied about 200 doctors nurses and pharmacists and they came and spent two weeks at a time in our medical clinics out in the villages my wife became a drug dealer Not anymore. (laughs) And we saw the need as people went back into their villages and there was just nothing but rubble. The stones were there to to rebuild, but they didn't have the glue, the cement to rebuild or the wood for for their roofs. And so we began a well-drilling operation Knocked out that first year about 200 wells. But I remember looking at all of this death, disease, poverty, and destruction. All because of one evil man. And I said, God, where are you? It's hot. It's dirty work. I went to college not to do this. The wintertime was brutally cold you know Saddam had knocked out all communication tv radio postal banking services knocked out the electricity whenever he chose and I said God where are you we've been slaving away for a year and I don't see one person who's converted to follow Jesus as their savior and Lord and God was silent and these were the silent years my wife refers to it as we were there picking up stones trying to make the ground more fertile for others who could come after us. I call it we were punching holes in the darkness just to let a glimmer of light come through. And so our International Mission Board after a season brought us to a European city to, to set up this, this company that would become international that would train missionaries, send them into these restricted access nations under creative platforms. And through the years we saw Kurds come to believe in Jesus, cell groups being formed, few churches, and now there's even a seminary that will train men and women who want to go into the ministry. But we didn't see that. And it reminds me that God was in the background Moving events and people in history in his timing, not mine. For his purposes, not my purposes. There's one day when I saw a glimmer of hope. I was driving the truck to go into the border town of Turkey to get supplies for our well drilling team. And as I approached the border, I realized I had forgotten my passport. Man I was mad. Oh God now I don't have my passport and I took the wheel and I turned it in the highway and I didn't see this truck coming along beside me and that truck went flying into the dirt median just bouncing and I lost sight of it in this cloud of dust and then you could see men just bailing out of the truck and out of the back end of the truck and they were all Peshmerga Military Kurdish soldiers and they came running back to me with their AK-47s and I opened the door and I got out on my knees and I said Salamu Alaikum Rawasta Havalimina God's peace be upon you stop I am not your enemy I am your friend and they saw as my door was open, they saw the emblem of our company. And they realized I was there to help them. With medical, well-drilling, food distribution. And they came and they were patting me down. Getting all the dust off of me. Stroking my beard. Combing my hair. And I, they just were apologizing to me. And I said, no, no, no. I'm the one who caused this and I'm patting dirt off of them and I look across the road and there is this abandoned gas station and a man had cut in half a 55-gallon drum and he was having a barbecue and a wayside restaurant and I said, guys, let me take you over to lunch. Shish kebab. And so while we were there, they asked me this penetrating question, why are you here? Why do you care for us Kurds? And I said, You know, you do have that saying that the only friends the Kurds have are the mountains, because that's where you flee to. You see, this greater media Persian, Mesopotamia, Tigris, Euphrates, Afghanistan, Turkey, Syria. Iraq, Iran, all this area has been the graveyard of many of empires. And the Kurds have been right in the midst of that highway of death and destruction for years. And I said, but I'm here to tell you that in Jesus, you have a friend. That God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And I'm here because my God commands me to love you. The Greeks followed the Persians. And in Greek philosophy, life is this unending cycle. And we could think of it as the non believing. Man or woman. You sin. You sin again. You never get out of this cycle. In Eastern religion, it's reincarnation. You're born, born again, born again, born again. You never get out of this cycle. But in Jewish thought, in God's thought, history is linear. It's not secular. That God has a beginning as the Alpha and the Omega And that all of history is on this timeline moving. God's creation. God speaking and calling his people. Sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Raising from the grave. And someday he is coming again. Our lives have meaning and purpose. And our life, like the book of Esther, is just a short narrative in this greater meta-narrative that God is creating. All of history. All oh, everything is moving for God's purposes. Be still and know that I am God, he says, for I will be exalted among the nations. John says in the book of Revelation, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could cumber from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages and every tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Someday I will stand arm in arm with my Kurdish Peshmerga brothers who have heard the gospel. And have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Even though I never saw it while in country. I believe that. And to believe that there is a God who is there. Who has not been silent matters supremely. And if we don't get that right. We'll get nothing else right. To believe that there is a God who is there. In the midst of evil, God is working. His silence is not absence. His pain is not his silence. In pain, it's not his silence. It's not his absence. Even in the darkness, God is sovereign. He is Lord, exercising control over history. For he shows up in the darkest of places even with his presence. Be still and know that I am God. The band's going to come up here and I'm going to be like Noe, Pastor Noah. He says, I'm going to land the plane. I'm going to land the helicopter. The scripture tells us that the Lord himself goes before you. The Lord himself will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the battle belongs to the Lord. And today if you're here and you're facing difficult challenges, difficult circumstances, you're struggling in a season of silence where where you don't feel God. See, don't rely on your senses. God is there and that's supremely important God may be silent but he's there and you may not sense the presence of God believe you may not see what God is up to but just be still and know that he is working for our good for his purposes in his timing not in yours, not in mine for this is his story It's your story. It's my story. It's part of the greatest story ever told, but this is history, His story. God tells us that He is faithful and just. He who began a good work in us is faithful and just to see it to completion. As we close our service today, after we sing, there'll be some counselors and you'll see people running around with badges that say, I can help. May I help? If you've got a prayer request, you going to know about Jesus, you want to follow him in baptism, ask one of these. And they'll gladly spend time in prayer and counsel with you. And before we leave, I want to bless you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may God give you peace in your going out and in your coming in in your rising in the morning and your laying down at night in your labor and in your leisure in your laughter and your tears until you come to stand before Jesus in that day where there is no sunset and no dawning shalom Go in peace. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the battle belongs to the Lord.